Amen. Holy is our Lord. Our text today is going to be from Luke chapter 6. I was preaching through the Gospel of Luke uh, a few weeks back. We took a short break as we went into Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday. Uh, but we're coming back to the Gospel of Luke today in chapter 6, and we'll be looking at verses 27 to 36 in a message entitled, When Showing Love Isn't Easy. On the night of February the 7th, 2003, Coco and David Trependall got the news that no parent ever wants to hear. Their 19-year-old daughter, Laura Trependall, had been killed by a drunk driver as she drove home from an evening Bible study. The driver, one of Laura's fellow students at the University of Mississippi, had just driven away from a bar in an SUV with eight passengers inside. Within minutes of leaving, he sideswiped one car and then ran head-on into Laura, who died at the scene of the accident. They said that she was a vivacious, lovable young woman who was intensely serious about her faith in Christ. Her loss devastated the entire town. A year later, at the sentencing of the driver who pled guilty to aggravated DUI death, and expressed deep remorse for his actions. He was facing 10 years in prison for what he had done. The judge surprisingly suspended nine of those years, resulting in only one year of jail time. You see, the Trependals, the parents, had written a letter to the judge. And here's what they wrote. We are Christians. Forgiveness is an integral part of our Christian faith. We have asked Christ, and he has enabled us to fully forgive the driver and the other young men who were involved in this tragedy. Therefore, from our own personal perspective, we have no need for, nor will we gain, any satisfaction from seeing him further punished. As you might imagine, when the sentencing came down, people were moved to tears. They were amazed that the Trependals had so easily forgiven this driver who had done such a terrible thing. It was the kind of thing that you couldn't help but admire, but at the same time wonder, why would somebody do something like that? And even more importantly, how could someone do something like that? Well, in a follow-up letter uh, to the paper, uh, the father, David, uh, revealed that he and Coco had actually met with the driver and had forgiven the driver in person. And here's what he said. I believe he's a fine young man who has been broken and humbled. He's come to the end of himself, and he feels completely helpless. In other words, I found him to be just the kind of person that God can really use to accomplish mighty things. Some people were outraged at the Trependals. They simply couldn't understand how someone could respond and act as they did. But here's what was taking place in their lives, and here's the amazing thing that can take place in our lives as well. You see, the Trependals were operating under a kingdom ethic, a kingdom ethic which provides for us direction on how to respond even when showing love isn't easy or even when extending forgiveness isn't easy or doesn't make sense from the world's perspective. In the contrast in our passage today and in their actions is 
the contrast between the words of Jesus and the common way of thinking in the world. And I'll just say to you, if you are looking for a nice, comfortable way to live without ever being challenged, without ever being faced with difficult things like this, then being a disciple of Jesus is probably not for you. How are we to live when showing love isn't easy? Well, first of all, we should relate to others with forgiveness and not retaliation. Notice here in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Relate to others with forgiveness, not retaliation. There are four phrases that stand out in these first few verses that we read. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And give to everyone who asks of you. Love your enemies. Now, the teachers of the law in those days had added things to the law to make it what they wanted it to be. When in reality, even in the Old Testament, the law placed the emphasis on love over vengeance. The teachers of the law misinterpreted it and they added content as demonstrated by Matthew 5 and verse 43 where Jesus said you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy Jesus is already speaking against what they were teaching and he's directing us to the opposite this command here to love your enemies is positive and it's strong love is the thread that runs throughout the entire Bible, and certainly through this passage. And the type of love that is described here is a love that could only come from God. God is love itself. He embodies it. And then God also expresses love to us and to his creation. As the Bible says, we love because God first loved us. This kind of love doesn't come naturally to us. This kind of love only comes to us supernaturally in Christ. And emotions can be affected, but not commanded. This type of love that comes from God is received by us as a gift, and then we in turn act on it as an act of the will. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. We look to Jesus to learn what this ultimately means because it was Jesus who loved us and died for us as the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. It was Jesus who willingly went to the cross even while we were still enemies of his, even while we were enemies of holiness, even while we were enemies of grace. Jesus willingly went to the cross. Listen to what Romans chapter 5 says, for when we were still without strength, 
Romans 5 and verse 6, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Not for the good people. Not for those who didn't see their need for repentance. Not for those who were favorable toward him. Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Paul writes in verse 7. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But now listen to verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is good news, that God would do good toward us. And then when we follow in the love that he's given to us, we can love our enemies and we can do good even to those who hate us. Jesus says, bless those who curse you. You remember in Acts chapter 7, when the believers were being persecuted for their faith, Stephen had been faithful to Christ and had given a bold testimony of his faith, and they were getting ready to kill him for that. They were about to stone him and leave him for dead. The very people who should have known better we're getting ready to take the life of this faithful witness. And you remember what Stephen did in Acts chapter 7 and verse 9. It says, and as they were stoning Stephen, put yourself in that moment. Death is imminent. Pain is excruciating. And in that moment, Stephen called out and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Friends, that's blessing those who curse you. And then Stephen died. Now, part of blessing those who curse you, and perhaps I should even say a test of whether or not you're blessing those who curse you, is whether or not you can pray for people who are not favorable towards you. Can you pray for people? Not that they would get what they deserve. That's the opposite of what we're seeing here in the passage. But instead, that God would help them. Can you pray that God would show mercy in a person's life? That, that he would bless them in every way? And then part of blessing others who curse you is turning the other cheek and radically sharing. Now let me make a point here because some people are confused even by the words of Jesus. This does not indicate that we should purposefully place ourselves or anyone else in danger. Nor does it indicate that we should submit ourselves to some type of abuse. Jesus is not conflicting here with the purpose of of human government which God ordained in order to keep uh, peace and order in the world. He's not conflicting here with the importance of the judicial system or the principle of self-defense or any of those things. He's speaking in terms of the context of our faith. If bad should come against us, then we should respond with good. If cursing should come against us, then we should respond with blessing. And as we do that, we're thinking about the person-to-person -person relationships that we have in the ordinary and routine part of life to keep peace as much as it depends on us. 
Now, Matthew Henry's commentary is helpful on this point. Let me read just a few short verses that he had to say, or a few few short sentences that he had to say about these verses. He said, Suffer any injury that can be borne for the sake of peace, committing your concerns to the Lord's keeping. And the sum of all of this is that Christians must avoid disputing and striving. If any say flesh and blood cannot pass by such an affront, Let them remember that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And those who act upon right principles will have the most peace and comfort. Then we have the phrase here, give to everyone who asked of you. In those days, it was common to give alms and to help people who had basic and legitimate needs. Jesus was telling the people to meet those basic and legitimate needs without expecting anything in return. Now, we're not to put ourselves in the position where we're enabling another person, but the principle is certainly that we should be generous and we should help as we're able and as God has blessed us. So we should relate to others with forgiveness and not retaliation. Second, Relate to others the way you want to be treated. Relate to others the way you want to be treated. We pick back up reading in Luke chapter 6 and verse 31. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. Jesus is telling us that as his disciples, we're to go far beyond the ethics of the world. The ethics of the world are motivated when they do for others or give to others based on what they're going to receive back. One of the things that has frustrated me the most uh, through this crisis that we've been enduring is all of the ads telling me about how much the companies absolutely love me and empathize with my particular circumstance. They want to give me a car loan for 175 months at no interest and they, they're doing that because they care and they're so concerned about me. Listen, the reason these companies are doing what they're doing, and hey, this is good marketing. The reason they're doing it is they want to make money. That's why they're doing it. They want to sell product. That's smart. But that's not the attitude that Christians are supposed to have toward one another. It's not, hey, I'm going to do something really good for you and convince you that, that I've done something really good for you so that you'll want to do something good back for me. Now, I think what's in view here in these verses that we just read uh, is basically the idea of the golden rule. Now, obviously, the golden rule, the words are not found in the Bible, but it's certainly the heart of the teaching of Jesus that we should live by the golden rule. Matthew 7 and verse 12 says, So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So when Jesus is speaking of sinners and how they respond, he's referring to people who are unconverted, people who've not received the gospel, people whose lives have not been changed, they're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they've not received the grace of God. So here's what the world says. The world says, 
you love the people who love you. The world says you do good to the people who do good to you. The world says you lend money to others to receive back money with interest or other benefits. Now, don't miss this point. Good deeds that are done with selfish motives don't ultimately qualify as good deeds from the sense of righteousness. Good deeds done with selfish motives, we're going to get our reward, and that is the attention of people. And if your first thought is, what's in it for me, then you're on the wrong track. I think the Good Samaritan that we'll learn about later on in Luke chapter 10 provides a good example of this rule in action. He potentially endangered himself for someone else who was in need. He gave of his time and his resources. He wanted to benefit someone else who could do absolutely nothing for him in return. And the motive for disciples of Jesus must be do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And the only motivation that you have for that is the grace and the mercy that God has shown to you. And if you have a hard time with that, and that's a challenge for you, and maybe you're in your heart you're struggling with even affirming those words, then just look to the cross. Look to the fact that God sent His only Son, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see anything in that that would make you or me a deserving person of the forgiveness of God? And that should be our motivation. Jesus sets forth for us the ethic of love, not reciprocity. And then we're to relate to others the way that God does. We're to relate to others the way that God does. Verse 35. But love your enemies, do good, and lend hoping for nothing in return. Now watch this. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Wow. Love, do good, lend, expect nothing in return. Now this is a very important point here. Because sometimes the do-gooder mentality, the works-based, focused people have have not understood the gospel of grace and the forgiveness of God. They think that you do these things so that you can become a child of God. You do not do these things so that you can become a child of God. You do these things because you are a child of God. You do these things to demonstrate where your faith is. Because you've been created in the image of God. By faith, you've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. You bear His likeness. You're being conformed to His image. It's the express will of God that you would be conformed to the image of His Son. And just as children may bear a resemblance to their parents, we bear a resemblance to our Heavenly Father. So because we bear a resemblance to our Heavenly Father and we want to be like Him and we want to relate to people the way that God relates to people, then we love our adversaries. 
We pray for those who are antagonistic toward us. We love those who are hostile toward us and perhaps are even opposing us in some way. We do good and we're to be generous with others. And the point is that we expect nothing in return. Did you know that we're most like God when we're giving? When we're showing grace? When we're expressing love? And by these things we show who we are. Now the verses here say that your reward will be great. That word is translated literally much. So let me just translate it another way. You got a big old reward coming to you. If you know the, the Lord and you live as the Lord has called you to live. Did you know what the greatest part of this reward is? God Himself. His presence, His glory, knowing the one who has given us physical life, knowing the one who has redeemed us by the blood of His Son and by the power of the resurrection, being in the presence of the one who has sustained us along every step of the way, who has sent His Holy Spirit to indwell us and to bring us encouragement and peace and strength to the God who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death so that we will not fear any evil, we have the blessing, the promise of the reward of being with Him and knowing Him for all of eternity. Look at verse 36, our last verse here in this passage. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful anyone can love friends but if you want to be like jesus you've got to learn to love your enemies anyone can do good to those who do good to them but if you want to be like jesus you've got to be able to do good to those who curse you Anyone can give to those who give back with added benefit. But if you want to be like Jesus, you've got to give to those who can't give back. So the obvious question is this. How could we live up to such an ethic? As I'm reading these verses and I'm thinking about preaching this passage today, I'm thinking, good Lord, how could I ever live up to this ethic? And then the obvious and clear thought came to my mind. You can't in your own strength. In fact, it is impossible in your own strength. Only by the work of God in your life can you be merciful as your Father is also merciful. I say often that I believe the sum total of the Christian life in terms of our posture toward God is a posture of surrender. You understand we surrender to Him when we repent of our sins and we come by faith. We come by way of the cross. We surrender to God. We yield ourselves to God on a daily basis as we surrender ourselves to Him. And we say, not I, but Christ. I live now by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This is the ethic that we live by. 
And in doing so, we can reflect Jesus. And when we reflect Jesus, Jesus gets the glory. People are drawn to Him. They know our Father in heaven. And they know the same mercy that we know. So I say to you today, in conclusion of this message, if you're a Christian, maybe the Holy Spirit has pointed out some of these things in this passage, and you've thought, Lord, I need help. I I need to be stronger in these areas because I want to be more like Jesus. God will give you all the help that you need. You have all the power that you need in the Holy Spirit. You have all the truth that you need in the Word of God. And if you'll follow the Word, and you'll follow the Spirit, and you'll listen to what Jesus is saying through His Word and by His Spirit, then your life can emulate His, and you can demonstrate that you are a child of the Most High. But maybe today you've never received forgiveness from God yourself. You're still an enemy of God, according to the Scripture, still opposed to Jesus. And God is inviting you to repent of your sins and to trust in His Son. God loved the world, and He loves the world, and that's why He sent His one and only Son. And if you believe in Him, the Bible says that you will have eternal life. Would you trust Him today? Would you begin to live the life that He desires for you? so that he'd get the glory let's bow our heads together and pray and after i pray we're going to sing a closing song and i'll make a couple of concluding remarks about our time together here today father we thank you for the words of jesus they are challenging to us they confront our sin they confront our selfishness they confront our weakness and we are reminded that alone we are nothing we are helpless we are hopeless But in you, we are able. We thank you, Jesus, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. So when we look for help to live in this kind of a way, we look to the cross. We look to the power of the resurrection. We depend on the power of the indwelling Spirit of God in us. We look to the truth of the revealed Word so that we would know what kind of ethic we're to live by. And I pray in all of this that we would show mercy as you have shown mercy to us and that our lives would be a reflection of who you are and what you've done. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. There may be some today who are struggling with forgiveness that has long been pent up in their lives and has become a burden, has become a a hindrance to their really walking by faith with you. And I pray that they would be willing to lay whatever that issue is at the foot of the cross that they would come knowing that they can't, but you can, that they would forgive as they've been forgiven, that they would show mercy as they've shown, you've shown mercy to them, and that you'd be glorified in every one of our lives. Father, I know enough to know that there are some that don't know you. They've never received your one and only Son by faith. I pray in this moment they'd be willing, by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, to repent and believe, to receive Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And we would rejoice with all the angels in heaven if that would take place. So God, glorify yourself in us. Build our relationships with one another in the church. Strengthen our relationships with others in the community. And through it all, that the gospel would be made known. 
And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.